Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to gather together to worship you, the living God, and to hear from your word, to hear the vision and the calling that you have for us. We pray that you would anoint the sermon in our time together. We pray that you would bless us and equip us with your truth and, uh, and with the things that you have for us to do. And we thank you for your grace. And amen. Today we are continuing our series called the GCF Vision. Um, the vision or the GCF vision is a term we use a lot, but we haven't really done a thorough teaching on it since Greg was, uh, or not since Greg was teaching at RCF. And the GCF vision, to put it simply, is that there are certain aspects of Christianity that God wants Christians to rediscover and restore. Uh, honestly, God has been causing the church to rediscover and restore things um, for hundreds of years. And it's still continuing. Uh, but there's five of them we're focusing on. Number one, having a biblically complete presentation of the gospel. Uh, number two, being grace-based rather than performance-based. Number three, being reformed and charismatic. Number four, understanding the role, relevance, and responsibilities of the church. And number five, having a victorious eschatology. Uh, so it's not like these things aren't in the church at large today. Uh, since God has been restoring much truth to his church over the past 500 years, um, you know, some churches do really well in one or two areas, and other, other churches do well at a different one or two areas. But out of these five areas, there's not many churches at the moment that have all five, but we believe God wants to change that. Um, so the GCF vision is a vision of restoration. So today's sermon within this series is called The Strengths of Being Reformed and Charismatic, because uh, that is the part we're talking about. Uh, we just wrapped up a subsection of the series called The Strengths of Charismatic Churches, and before that we talked about the strengths of Reformed Churches. Uh, and today we're going to do a bit of review for both, and then we're going to talk about the synergy or the, the strengths that you get from having both Strengths that you wouldn't have if you only had one, if you were only charismatic or if you were only reformed. And that's very important to understand. So let's start off with uh, reviewing the strengths of reformed churches. So what do I mean by a reformed church? Uh, so there are certain qualities that I would associate with what I would call a reformed church. Uh, having a biblical view of predestination and election, having an emphasis on the five solas, holding to covenant theology rather than dispensationalism, and placing a high priority on regularly and thoroughly studying God's word and on studying theology. So for the review, we're just going to quickly talk about each of those and just why they're important, why they are strengths, why they matter, why they make a difference. Uh, so... Let's talk about believing in predestination and election. That is a strength, namely because it's biblical. But uh, if you have doubts about that, I definitely don't have time to cover why it's biblical in this sermon without it taking up the whole sermon. I barely fit it all into one sermon when we covered it uh, two months ago. But uh, there is a sermon on our website um, as part of this series, and you can check it out. But why, is it why does it practically matter whether or not we believe in predestination or election, besides it being biblical? Uh, well, for one thing, it keep, 
stops us from developing a man-centered gospel. If, if a Christian doesn't believe in predestination and election, if they work out logically their beliefs about salvation, it's very common and very easy to develop a man-centered gospel. The logical conclusion about God allowing the fall to happen is there must be something God cares about more than human well-being. Otherwise, he wouldn't have allowed the fall to happen. There's really only two options for what that thing is. It's God's glory or it's man's free will. But if we believe that it's man's free will, then um, you know, some aspect of man is what's more important or most important. It's very important that we see that God doesn't care about human well-being more than he cares about his glory. It becomes a real problem if we start to think that God cares about human well-being more than he cares about his glory. I would say he cares about the well-being of his church, of his people, as he cares about his glory, and he's kind of married them together. But it really becomes a problem when we start to think that God cares about human well-being more than he cares about his glory. And we'll get to that a bit later in the sermon. But it, believing in predestination protects us from developing a man-centered gospel. It also, to some degree, helps us to have confidence and boldness. So perfect love casts out fear, but it's not just belief in God's love, it's belief in God's love and sovereignty. If God were all loving but not sovereign, there would be plenty of reason to fear. And I would take it a bit further and say, having no fear requires understanding the love of a sovereign God who makes use of his sovereignty. Honestly, I can't understand how a person could not be filled with fear uh, when evangelizing at the idea that somebody else might go to hell forever and it be your fault because you didn't evangelize well. How could that not fill a person with fear? Having no fear requires understanding the love of a sovereign God who makes use of his sovereignty. Not only that, but belief in predestination and election is the only way the Christian worldview can make sense or be logically consistent. Because, um, you know, why would God allow the fall to happen at all? And why doesn't God save those whom he could save? So anyways, there are strengths and importance in believing uh, in predestination and election and having a biblical understanding of the reality of predestination and election. But another one of uh, the strengths of Reformed churches is having an emphasis on the five solas. So how is that helpful? Why is that important? Uh, having an emphasis on the five solas helps us to have a clear understanding of the gospel. You know, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, to the glory of God alone. And having an emphasis and an understanding of the five solas is a layer of protection against the gospel getting degraded over time, which is a constant, you know, struggle in some sense. Demonic forces are working to try to get the church to allow the gospel to be degraded over time. But having an understanding of and an emphasis on the five solas is a good measure of protection against that. 
Another thing I would say is a strength or a characteristic of Reformed churches is holding to covenant theology rather than dispensationalism. Why is that important? Why does that make a difference practically? The main reason I would say that um, makes a difference practically is because dispensationalism has some qualities to it that are hindering, that are, I would bother to even say, dangerous. Dispensationalism unreasonably assumes negativity. It starts with a paradigm of negativity, and it affects, that paradigm affects all of its interpretations of the scriptures. And it causes, uh, you know, dispensationalism to interpret certain passages as being about things that they're not really about. But again, I don't really have time to get into that here, but there's uh, a sermon you can find on our website if you click on uh, the link, the GCF Vision series, you can find that sermon. Not only that, but another reason dispensationalism is dangerous, I would say, is that it causes us or tempts us to misunderstand the plans of God. One of the most important aspects of that is God is not going to re-implement the sacrificial system, ever. And if modern Israelis ever do, it will be high-handed rebellion against God. Because God has given his son as the propitiation for all sins. And if people don't recognize that, if people don't look to that, you know, that, that's the greatest sin there is. And then the last strength I want to talk about when it comes to characteristics or the strengths of Reformed churches is placing a high priority on regularly and thoroughly studying God's Word. Uh, you know, this needs to be a part of every church's culture. Every church should value Bible study and the study of theology because we were created to know God. And knowing God takes spending time in prayer and worship. Knowing God is more than knowing about Him uh, just like knowing my wife is more than knowing about her, if, all I, if I didn't spend time with my wife and I only knew facts about her, we wouldn't have a close relationship. But there's also the other side of that. If I spent frequent time with my wife and knew nothing about her, how could you realistically say we have a good relationship? You have to know about the other person. And we have to know about God. We need to understand his attributes and his heart. And we get that primarily from studying the scriptures. And just for means of doing it effectively, it helps to study systematic theology. Because we need to be studying what the whole Bible says as a whole. Not only that, but we need to know God's word deeply in order to succeed in life. God made it very clear when speaking to Joshua at the beginning of the book of Joshua that his success and the mission God had given him was going to be hugely wrapped up in how well he knew God's word and how much time he spent in God's word. So all churches should have a high priority on regularly and thoroughly studying God's word. And all churches should have a priority on studying theology. All Christians should. Because we should want to know God. If you want to know God, if you want to have an intimate relationship with him, and you should, but you don't want to know about him, you're fooling yourself. 
You won't have an intimate relationship with him if you don't try to learn about him as well as spending time with him. So those are the strengths of Reformed churches um, that we covered in this series. So the next thing I want to cover as part of a review, kind of, is the strengths of charismatic churches. So today we're talking about the synergy, the strengths that come from being reformed and charismatic. So what are the strengths or common characteristics of charismatic churches? Um, I would say, number one, believing that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, emphasizing, pursuing, and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit, participating in spiritual warfare and deliverance, and having a culture of worship and prayer and expectation. So let's uh, spend like two minutes each to talk about each one of those and why they're important, why they are strengths. Uh, So believing the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Well, the first reason that's important is because they are. There is nothing in the Bible that ever implies that the gifts have ceased or will cease before Christ returns. There is nothing in the scripture that even implies it. The only reason this is believed among a lot of modern Western Christians is because oftentimes we don't see the gifts of the Spirit occurring very often around us in modern America or in the West. But there are much better biblical explanations for that than this idea that isn't even in the scriptures that the gifts must have ceased. That is reading our own experience into the scriptures. The Bible doesn't say it or imply it at all. But there's two main reasons we don't see the gifts of the Spirit occurring as much as we should, and those are our unbelief and our lack of seeking them. Let's look at Matthew 13, verses 57 and 58. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Similarly, the Holy Spirit in places where we don't see many of the gifts of the Spirit manifesting, commonly we don't see them because of people's unbelief or because of our own unbelief. Another reason we don't see the gifts of the Spirit as much as we should is our lack of seeking them. We're not only supposed to um, have belief or have expectation that the Holy Spirit will do great things, but we are supposed to seek it. We are supposed to desire spiritual gifts and pray for them. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. God doesn't tell you to desire anything he doesn't want you to pursue. God doesn't want you to desire something and then he's just going to withhold it from you forever. That doesn't happen. But if God wants you to desire something, he also wants you to pursue it. And we know from verse 13 later in this chapter that we should be praying for them. Paul says in regards to speaking in tongues, therefore the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why pray that you interpret if whether or not we pray for the gifts of the Spirit has no bearing on whether or not we experience them? It does have a bearing on whether or not we experience them. 
We need to be desiring the gifts of the Spirit and praying for the gifts of the Spirit. And the fact that, you know, by and large, a lot of um, churches in the modern West don't believe that spiritual gifts are for today, don't desire them, and don't pray for them, that's why we don't see a lot of spiritual gifts in the West. And it's very important that we believe that they are for today, because if we don't believe that they're for today, we won't pursue them. So the next uh, strength I want to talk about of the strengths of charismatic churches, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. It's important that we receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit because it's part of uh, the pattern of the New Testament. And again, showing this from the scriptures would now would take like half an hour, but we already did it in a different sermon earlier in the series. This is just review. But receiving the Holy Spirit as an a separate experience from conversion, even though you do have the Holy Spirit indwelling you at conversion, but whatever the book of Acts is referring to when it says receiving the Holy Spirit, which we commonly call the baptism in the Holy Spirit, is clearly a different instance than what happens immediately at conversion. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit. All believers should receive the Holy Spirit. All believers should receive a greater anointing. All believers should receive and take advantage of the gift of speaking in tongues. Receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit made a big difference for Peter and the apostles. You can just look at the change in their boldness. Another uh, strength of the charismatic churches that we've been looking at is emphasizing, pursuing, and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. Why is that important? Well, the first reason I would say that's important is God commands it. Let's look at 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever. Amen. It doesn't say, as each received a gift if they lived in the first century, if you live in the first century, use it. It says, as each has received a gift. It doesn't even say, as each may receive a gift, or each who does receive a gift. As each has received a gift, use it. That is a command. You know, we need the gifts of the Spirit practically. We need, you know, the church would be so much stronger and more effective if all churches experienced regularly the gifts of the Spirit. We'd have so much more wisdom, so much more power, more healings. There wouldn't be in the surrounding culture this idea of unbelief because it wouldn't be able to survive in that. There were some towns in Jesus' day where unbelief was prevalent, but because of spreading testimony expectation that God had the power to do things spread far and wide and fast. But you know, we need the gifts of the Spirit. They are for today and we are very 
we're much weaker than we should be without them. Not only that, God is less, we're not glorifying God like we should if we don't use the gifts of the Spirit. You know, it says at the end of verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If we're not walking in the gifts of the Spirit, then to some degree we're living for Christ or serving Christ in our own strength. Uh, The next uh, strength of charismatic churches that we're going to review is participating in spiritual warfare and deliverance. Why is that important? We need deliverance and victory over the demonic. You know, contrary to popular Western belief, demons are active today in practical ways. Demons aren't just only in the cases where it looks like a Hollywood movie. Demons like to go unnoticed, and they are working in probably most every human life that exists to try to accomplish evil things. But that's not just some sad reality. We as Christians have authority over demons and the ability to participate in spiritual warfare. And we need deliverance and victory over the demonic. And we need to be helping others in that. About a third of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels was casting demons out of people because people need deliverance from demons. And if the church isn't administering that, then people are just going on oppressed. And when we looked at this in more detail, we looked at how, um, you know, not all demonic oppression is just super obvious like in Hollywood. Some of it's very subtle, like the, uh, the case of the woman with a disabling spirit who couldn't stand straight for 18 years. If she went to a modern American church, they probably would just say, you need to find a better doctor. Or the case of Ahab, who's Prophets had a deceiving spirit. They weren't running up and down, jumping off the walls. They didn't act insane. They were just lying. But we need, you know, participating in spiritual warfare and deliverance is something all churches should do, and it's, it's one of the strengths of charismatic churches. The last thing I have listed as a strength of charismatic churches is having a culture of worship, prayer, and expectation. So there's, there's two main reasons why that's practically really important. The first one is intimacy with God. God wants his church to be intimate with him. God wants every member of his church to have a close relationship with him. Because a close relationship with him is part of the reason he created us as humans and made us in his image. God didn't just um, redeem us by hiring us as servants. He redeemed us by adopting us as sons. God wants relationship with his people. And we grow in that partly by spending time in worship and in prayer. But another reason it's important that we have a, a culture of worship, prayer, and expectation, or regular worship and prayer and expectation that God will do great things is because it will lead to seeing more of the power of God. Last week when we talked about this, we looked at three different examples um, in the scriptures where God's power was seen manifest almost immediately when people started worshiping. At the... Um, the dedication of Solomon's temple, at 
you know, the war with uh, Jehoshaphat and Syria, and when the jail cell walls collapsed in the book of Acts. But there is power in worship, and there is power in prayer, and there is power that comes from having expectations that God will do great things, because unbelief tends to limit what we're going to see God doing. So we've, we've probably spent the last 10 weeks of this series talking about the strengths of Reformed churches and Charismatic churches, but since we're going to talk about the synergy of being Reformed and Charismatic, we now have to talk about the weaknesses of Reformed churches and the weaknesses of Charismatic churches. Because part of the strengths of having a church culture that's Reformed and Charismatic is each of the weaknesses that they tend to have get covered by the other. So let's talk about some common weaknesses in Reformed churches. Uh, The first one is that, in general, they don't really pursue the gifts of the Spirit. And we need the gifts of the Spirit. We need words of wisdom. We need the supernatural wisdom of the Spirit. We need discernment of spirits, because the Holy Spirit gives the ability to know, know whether or not there's demonic activity going on. And we need that. We need healings. We need signs and wonders. The gifts that the Holy Spirit has for us aren't meant to just be neglected. But in general, one of the weaknesses of Reformed churches is that they don't pursue the gifts of the Spirit. But that wouldn't be an issue if you had a church culture that's Reformed and charismatic. That weakness would be covered by that. Another common weakness in Reformed churches is I would say, undermining the voice of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times in Reformed churches, even though there's a good amount of emphasis on the Scriptures, which is good, they tend to neglect the importance of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and neglect the fact that it's something that's meant for all Christians. And it's something we need. The Holy Spirit does speak to people today, but most Reformed churches don't focus on that enough. And because of that, they don't receive God's communication through his Spirit as well as they should. But that weakness is something that would be covered by having a church culture that's Reformed and charismatic. Another common weakness in Reformed churches is they don't benefit from deliverance and they don't address the issue of demonic oppression. You know, not every sickness, addiction, or emotional issue is caused by demonic oppression, maybe not even the majority of them, but there are sicknesses that are caused by demonic oppression. There are addictions that are caused by demonic oppression or amplified by demonic oppression. There are uh, emotional issues that are caused or amplified by demonic oppression. And those, that oppression is largely going unaddressed in a, a number of Reformed churches, and that's quite sad. But that's something that would be covered by having a church culture that's reformed and charismatic. Another common weakness in reformed churches is that they don't have a gospel backed by signs and wonders. And biblically, that's an issue. Our presentation of the gospel should be backed by signs and wonders. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brothers, 
I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, I've heard some people mention the idea that they think that this just means, you know, the power of God to convert, but that's, that's just totally divorcing it from the context. What does the word demonstrate mean? The work of the Holy Spirit to convert someone's an invisible work. Paul wasn't demonstrating that. The gospel that Paul presented to the Corinthians was backed by signs and wonders, and it was very important to him that it was. Because he wanted their faith to not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Let's also look at Mark 16, verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Let's also look at Acts 14, verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. This is a pattern in the New Testament. And then the last verse I want to look at on this um, is John 4, verses 48. So Jesus said to them, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, Jesus was talking to a group of specific people. This is not the case for everyone. But, you know, some people say because belief is the work of the Holy Spirit that it must have something to do with signs and wonders. But that doesn't fit the scriptures. Because Jesus said to specific people, and he wasn't lying and he wasn't wrong, he said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And he didn't add to it, but even if you do, you won't believe anyway. He meant what he said. He also said that if the works that he had done had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. So even though God is the one who causes faith to happen in the human heart, he works through practical means. And sometimes those means are signs and wonders. And some people do need signs and wonders before they're going to believe. Moreover, it's just a pattern in the scripture that the presentation of the gospel should be backed by signs and wonders. Not like every time you share the gospel, but in general, the church should have signs and wonders. And that would back all of its presentations of the gospel. But again, even though this is a common weakness in Reformed churches, this weakness would be covered by having a church culture that's both Reformed and charismatic. So that is, um, you know, that's how having a church culture that's reformed and charismatic would cover the weaknesses that are common in reformed churches. But let's talk about the weaknesses that tend to be common in charismatic churches and how having a church culture that's reformed and charismatic would help with that. You know, typically in charismatic churches, they do have a man-centered gospel. It's typically based on what God can do for you. And that's not good. God definitely does 
do great things for us and we should focus on the glory of his love, but we can't end there. It's not all about us. And again, we're going to, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, it's very important that we see that uh, God does not care about humans more than he cares about his glory. Because whatever God cares about most is what's most important. Since God should always have his desires met, because he's God. So whatever he desires most is most important. But you see, that kind of leads to problems if we start to believe that God desires human well-being more than anything else, including his glory. Because that's going to lead us to care more about human well-being than God's glory. Or at least being logically consistent sooner or later it would. So one of the weaknesses of charismatic churches often is having a man-centered gospel. But if we had a church culture that's reformed and charismatic, that weakness would be covered by that. Another common weakness in charismatic churches is there's often a lack of, of knowing and studying the Bible. There's a number of charismatic churches uh, where it's not part of the culture to actually have like a real time of daily Bible reading beyond just the verse of the day. And where people don't even place a value on knowing the whole Bible or reading the entire thing. There's a number of uh, charismatic churches where the culture is just, it doesn't matter if you ever get around to finishing the Bible, even once. And again, how can we claim we're trying to know God if we're content with that? And that leads to all sorts of other issues, like, um, you know, areas of having bad theology or unreasonable beliefs. We all know of, you know, various charismatic churches that have unbiblical and illogical ideas that get spread around. And that is kind of common, because... A common weakness of charismatic churches is there's often a lack of knowing and studying the Bible. But that weakness would be covered by having a church culture that's reformed and charismatic. Uh, The last common weakness I want to mention among charismatic churches is legalism tends to be more common. Uh, Having rules that we claim are biblical that don't come from the Bible, like the Pharisees did. A frequent complaint of Jesus against the Pharisees is that they elevated man's tradition to the level of God's law. But that is sadly quite common among a number of Pentecostal churches. And that kind of comes from a number of things. There might be a number of underlying reasons for that, such as not having as much of a focus on God's word or not having as much of an instant uh, insistence on having logical consistency. Um, or from thinking that God's law doesn't apply because we're under grace. But there's, you know, a number of underlying reasons, but sadly, legalism is more common in charismatic churches. But that is a weakness that would be covered or would not be there the same way if we had a church culture that's reformed and charismatic. You know, this type of legalism isn't as common in reformed churches. So before we get into a few areas, um, a few more areas of synergy, I I just want to 
say that Reformed church culture and charismatic church culture are not contradictory. I may as well say that before we move on, because if they are contradictory, what am I even talking about? There's no hope. Uh, But so taking those strengths of Reformed churches and of charismatic churches to them and combining them, we'd get a list like this. This would be the strengths of of a Reformed charismatic church. And I want you to note on this list, this list of nine strengths or nine characteristics, not one of these nine qualities contradicts any of the other eight. All of these fit together just fine. So number one, having a biblical view of predestination and election. Number two, believing the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Number three, holding to covenant theology rather than dispensationalism. Number four, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Number five, having an emphasis on the five solas. Number six, emphasizing, pursuing, and experiencing the gifts of the Spirit. Number seven, participating in spiritual warfare and deliverance. Number eight, placing a high priority on regularly and thoroughly studying God's word. And number nine, having a culture of worship, prayer, and expectation. There's no reason a church couldn't have all nine of those characteristics. They are not contradictory to each other at all. And these should become commonplace in churches. Churches should have all nine of these. A church would be very well off to have all nine of these. All right, so we are almost done. Um, Let's quickly talk about synergy. Certain strengths you get are things you get more of from a church that's reformed and charismatic. There's four key areas uh, where a church would do even better in, better than they would if they were just reformed, or better than they would if they were just charismatic, if they're both. The first one is having greater wisdom, because you'd have the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit speaking and having an emphasis on hearing his voice, an emphasis on words of wisdom and words of knowledge and discernment of spirits, and from also having uh, deeply and regularly studying the Bible and theology. A church that is reformed and charismatic would have more wisdom than a church that's just reformed or just charismatic. You'd also have deeper levels of knowing God. You know, reformed churches uh, tend to understand the Bible and God's attributes better, but charismatic churches tend to do better at cultivating spiritual intimacy because of the focus on prayer and worship. But you'd be better off to have both. And if you had both, you'd know God deeper than if you were just had one or just had the other. So churches that are reformed and charismatic would have deeper levels of knowing God. Another one, uh, you know, churches that are reformed and charismatic would have a more compelling presentation of the gospel. So reformed churches tend to have a more logically consistent uh, presentation of the gospel and more biblically precise, but charismatic churches typically have a presentation of the gospel that's backed by signs and wonders. And that, you know, makes a good difference in how compelling or convincing it is. But you'd have the most compelling presentation of the gospel if you had both. Reformed charismatic churches would have a more compelling presentation of the gospel than churches that are just reformed or just charismatic. And the last area I want to mention is more victorious living. You know, reformed churches... um, 
maybe because of having a deeper focus on God's word, tend to have more of a focus on the fruit of the Spirit than on the gifts of the Spirit, even though they shouldn't be neglecting the gifts of the Spirit. Um, But charismatic churches have the advantages of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and deliverance and more frequent words of wisdom on how to conquer specific sins in specific cases. So both of those are helpful for victorious living, for conquering sin. But you'd have more conquering of sin and more victorious living if you had both of them. A church that's reformed and charismatic would have more conquering sin and more victorious living than a church that's just reformed or just charismatic. So I know we went through that really quickly, but those are four important areas where you'd have synergy. You'd have um, a greater amount of strength from being, having a church culture that's both reformed and charismatic than merely reformed or merely charismatic. All right. Um, the last thing I want to say about this before we get to our conclusion is I believe that by God's grace, this is going to become a movement in the church. I believe this is going to become a movement just like the Reformation was 500 years ago and the Pentecostal movement was uh, 100 years ago and the Charismatic movement was, say, 50 years ago. So God has been restoring more and more truth to his church over the last 500 years, but he hasn't just been doing it for the sake of having pieces of truth scattered throughout the church here and there which is to some degree what we have today by and large. But I believe that for all the truth that has been restored um, over the past 500 years, God's going to bring it together and unite it. So let's look at John 17, verses 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So all Christians because all Christians came to believe through the word, coming through the word, coming through the word, that eventually came back to the the 12. So I do not ask for these only, but also for those uh, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So there's a a correlation between the church being united, between the church at large being one, and the world believing that Jesus sent him. But I don't think the Father is just going to ignore Jesus' prayer. I don't think Jesus prayed the wrong thing. I don't think he was praying something that wasn't the will of God. I believe this is something God's going to do. God's been restoring more and more truth to some degree in various parts of the church over the last 500 years, but God is going to unite it and bring it together. And I think seeing reformed and charismatic churches, and there are some that exist today, is going to become more and more common. You know, just about, sometimes it might seem kind of discouraging, but just 150 to 200 years ago, you couldn't really find a charismatic church anywhere. Or, I shouldn't say that, but they, they weren't common. But now you can find them in like every major city in the nation. And even small towns and villages. And I think 
Churches becoming reformed and charismatic is going to become more and more commonplace because God wants it to be a thing and because God is working at beautifying and sanctifying his church. This movement is going to be necessary because it's going to have to do with how effectively the church carries out the Great Commission. It's going to have a big effect on how effectively the gospel moves forward throughout the earth. And that, you know, the church needs this. We need the synergy of being reformed and charismatic. All the strengths we mentioned are good things, and the church needs to have all of them. But that's something God wants to restore. But since that's something God wants to restore, that's something we need to be praying towards and working towards. This should be something we're looking for God to do in the earth. This should be something we're praying that God will accomplish and accomplish soon. Because God not only sanctifies individuals, but sanctifies his church as a whole, that's why movements of restoration happen, such as uh, the Reformation and the Charismatic Movement and certain other movements. God does that kind of thing. It's part of how he sanctifies the church as a whole. And we should be praying and working towards reformed charismatic churches becoming a commonplace thing. So in conclusion, uh, developing a reformed and charismatic church culture is super important. We can't afford to be a church that knows God's word well, but doesn't actually have or use the power of the Holy Spirit. And we also can't be a, afford to be a church that worships passionately and has great power of the Holy Spirit, but doesn't understand theology very well and teaches a man-centered gospel. We can't afford either of those. We need to be seeking this change because God does want churches to be reformed charismatic and I do believe it's a movement he is starting that somewhat has started and you know all movements start out kind of slowly but this needs to be something that we seek in our church and also to help others with. Second point of my conclusion is that God is restoring the church. So, you know, the church kind of, for a while, hasn't had all the truth or activities or ministries it seemed to have in the book of Acts. And that probably, that um, kind of forgetting certain truths and losing certain ministries or activities probably started around the time that, um, that Christianity became the state religion of Rome. Uh, because, you know, the government makes everything better. Uh, but, you know, certain truths have been lost or forgotten. But over the past 500 years, various truths have been recovered bit by bit through, you know, various movements. And God has been working in that. And God's going to unite it. And something I was thinking about earlier this week that just um, really hit me. So, you know, God has allowed his church to some degree to fall quite far from what it was in the first century and in the book of Acts. God has allowed the church to lose a lot of the truth, a lot of the ground, a lot of the good qualities and characteristics that it used to have. You know, one of the questions that comes up is why would God allow that? But the only reason God ever allows any sin to happen at all is so that his victory over it can be shown. 
And if God allows new depths of sinfulness to happen, it is only ever happens so that his victory over it can be shown. Whether it be by judgment or by mercy or by sanctification, and in regards to God's church, it will always be by mercy and sanctification, God only ever allows sin so that his victory over it can be shown. And God will be glorified. God will show his church mercy. And the fact that, you know, the church has fallen quite far will just allow God to be glorified more by his showing her mercy and his restoration of the things we haven't done well at. So uh, let's get to our communion meditation. Christ is preparing a glorious church. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 27. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. God, Christ isn't going to present to himself a divided church that doesn't have unity. Christ isn't going to present to him church a church that to present to himself a church that's been crushed and defeated and darn near abolished by the Antichrist. Christ isn't going to present to himself a church that barely knows his word. Christ is going to present to himself a glorious church. And his washing her in the word is an ongoing process that he is constantly doing. But he will present to himself a glorious church. And whether or not the church succeeds, whether or not the church becomes glorious, isn't left to chance or merely to human will. Because God will see to it that his church is made glorious and presented to him as glorious. That is why God has sovereignly ordained various movements and reformations, such as the Protestant Reformation and the Charismatic Movement. And that's why he continues to work in his church as a whole, as a unified body, until it reaches a tangible state of maturity. Let's look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 13. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people for the work, for his work, and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. God is restoring his church, and it is the most important thing going on in the world, and we need to be praying towards it and working towards it and watching for it day after day. So let's praise him as we come to the table.